We're in Exodus chapter 7. We'll be going through verse 8 through chapter 8, verse 19. We're going to look at uh, three plagues that God brings upon Egypt. But in chapter 7, verse 7, we read Moses is 80 years old and Aaron is 83. Even in that day, that's getting on up there. <laughs> and they're old men when God calls them into service. I was about 43 years old when I became disenchanted with my own life. God had been more than good to me, and I was enjoying his blessings. My little business that I was in at the time was finally making some money, and that was, that was a different for <laughs> many years of struggling had passed. Lori and I had recently gotten married, and we'd bought a little small ranch on the Stanislaus River in Oakdale, California. Now, the Stanislaus River was a protected river. It was a clean river. Salmon would come up the river in the, in the fall, and it, it was uh, ideal, to say the least. And it had a healthy flow of clean water because it came down from a huge reservoir up in the Sierra foothills. Lori and I were attending Calvary Chapel of Modesto, and both of us were serving there. And we had a group of dear Christian friends, and life was good. But I was discontent when I should have been totally content. So one morning at work, I'm analyzing my situation, and I had my little epiphany. It dawned on me that God had given me everything in life that I desired. And that's very humbling when God makes that known to you. God's goodness to me was overwhelming, and my response was underwhelming to him. <laughs> so I bowed my head, and I prayed a little prayer. And I acknowledged God's goodness to me and how grateful I was for his blessings upon me. And my prayer went something like this. God, you've been very good to me. So why don't I give over my life to you completely and do things your way? God heard that prayer of surrender. And God began to change my life almost instantly. And he changed my life in ways that surprised me. My little business, which had been finally doing good, began to go sour immediately. And God made it clear to me that it was his doings. And how do you fight that? You know, okay, Lord, I prayed. Let's do things your way. I'm in it. We will do that. But like Moses and Aaron, I understood that it was time for me to serve God and lay down my own selfish desires. So I say to you, my brothers and sisters, has God shown you through circumstances of blessings that he desires more of your life? You see, I'm not special. 
And I believe God is calling believers everywhere to himself through his goodness to them. Calling believers to serve him. Moses and Aaron are 80 and 83 years old. And God is calling them to himself. Now, I don't know what God has called you to, and that's not my job to know what God has called you to. But I know he is calling people around this world, around our country, in this city, in this town, and in this church to serve him. And many of us are more successful today than we ever dreamed possible just a few years ago. We enjoy God's favor upon us. And we will read in the next few chapters of Exodus how God has prepared Moses and Aaron to speak his words to an evil king. And God will use Moses and Aaron in ways that they never dreamed possible. So let's look at Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourself, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, that they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. God tells Moses up front, Pharaoh, he's going to ask for a miracle. He's going to want some authentic type work or miracle from you so that you kind of have this position of authority with him. And you're to grant that request. But Moses, you're to throw down your rod and it will become a serpent. But, you know, Pharaoh's magicians, they're, they're able to do the same thing through enchantments. And an enchantment is simply an invoking, a praying to, going through different uh, uh, situations to get demons to act on your behalf to do little miracles, to show yourself that you're something special in their kingdom. And the whole rod into a serpent thing shows Pharaoh that his magicians are only doing a little magical thing. But when Moses' rod, Moses' serpent, swallows up the magician's serpents, it demonstrates God is superior to their rods and their serpents. And this is not a plague. This is just a little demonstration on God's part showing that his servants serve a more superior God than Pharaoh and his magicians. So let's pick up verse 14 in uh, chapter 7. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. 
Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned into a serpent shall take it, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, but indeed until now you will not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over their pools of water, that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout the, all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up his rod, struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, I like that word, stank, and the Egyptian could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. Then when the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. All the fresh water of Egypt is now turned into blood and remains that way for a week. That's kind of interesting to note that it stayed that way for a full week. This is the first plague upon Egypt. The plague answers Pharaoh's question of chapter 5, where Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, God's beginning to show Pharaoh who he is. This plague comes from a God, our God, that is greater than Pharaoh and his magicians. The Egyptians were known for worshiping many gods. Uh, Kum, K-N-U-M, Kum however you pronounce it. He was the Egyptian god of the Nile. The plague comes against him. Hapi, the spirit of the Nile. This plague comes against him. Osiris, the giver of life, and it was considered that the Nile was his bloodstream. It comes against him. So God is taking and bringing these plagues upon the idols that are worshipped in Egypt. These three false gods of Egypt are plagued by God, showing that God has power over the so-called source of life that all of Egypt worships. When the living and true God comes and attacks your false god, and your false god begins to stink like dead fish, 
this would be an indicator that perhaps you should change your gods. I had a neighbor several years ago who loved to fish. One day I stopped to talk with him as I'm mowing the grass between our houses. And while I'm talking, I get this strong whiff of an odor. And I say, oh my goodness, something is dead nearby. And I began to look around for a dead animal, basically. And my neighbor replied, oh, it's probably the fish I left in my boat. He was right. It was the fish he left in his boat. But what a stench. You know, it just was overwhelming. One of those kind that makes your eyes water, you know. But rotting fish now from the Nile caused the whole land of Egypt to stink like it has never stunk before. Now consider, the Egyptians have just lost their water supply. Their bathing and their drinking water is now blood red and it smells like dead fish. <laughs> Not only that, all the water that they have in their houses, in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone, it is also red and it also stinks. It is so bad that the Egyptians go down by the riverbank and they dig little wells just to have some clean drinking water. And water, the Nile, was why people went down to Egypt when there was drought in Israel and other areas. There have been more wars fought over water than any other thing. Right now in Texas, they're going through a, really a, a very severe drought. I just saw this morning on the Weather Channel that uh, I think it's Wichita Falls. They dug a reservoir a few years back, and here it is, late spring, and that reservoir is 26% full. Three-quarters empty when it should be full. Wichita Falls is going through a water crisis. Water crises are throughout our land. It's Drought is one of the ways God judges people. California is right in the middle of a drought, a severe drought, and now they've got all their wildfires going. But let's look at verses 1 through 15 of chapter 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the house of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, that's bad, and into your kneading bowls. And the frog shall come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with the rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds. Cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. 
So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs from the land of Egypt, like it wasn't bad enough already. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frog from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of, the, of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servant, from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. <laughs> but, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh will not let Israel go, and now we have the plague of frogs. Frogs come forth abundantly. So many frogs that they cover the land. Not just frogs along the riverbank or in the ponds, but frogs that are so plentiful they look like a wiggling carpet. They're in the houses, they're in the yards, they're in the fields. Now, have you ever stepped on a frog barefooted? It's a sensation you will not forget. <laughs> Some experience there. <laughs> and frogs multiply rapidly. So the Egyptians, naturally, they have a god of fertility in the image of a frog. God is attacking that idol. And it's called hip. I best you can pronounce it, I guess. In verse 3, these frogs shall come upon, upon you into your houses, in your bedchamber, your baking ovens, in your kneading bowls, and so forth. All right, you got to picture this. You're tired. You have fought frogs all day. <laughs> you want to go to bed, get a little rest, and you pull back the sheet, sheet of your bed, and what jumps out? Frogs. These frogs are so wearisome that Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron and he says, Hey, hey, I'll let them go. Just get rid of the frogs. And they entreat the Lord, Moses and Aaron do, that the frogs will go away. It's interesting that Moses's, not Moses, Pharaoh's magicians could produce frogs, but they couldn't make them go away. So they gathered the frogs into heaps, and the land stank. Dead frogs smell a lot like dead fish. It's loathsome. But God has heard Moses' prayer to remove the frogs, and the frogs die. 
But Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he refuses to let Israel go. Now chapter 8, verse 16 through 19. So the Lord said to Moses, Say, O Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out uh, his hand and his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became like lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Head lice, sand flies, or fleas, if you like. They infest the hairy areas of animals and human beings. Children are prone to head lice for infestations of head lice. Head lice, they feed off minute amounts of blood and they easily spread from one person to another. This type of head lice is prominent in the Middle East and many Muslim people will shave their heads and their beards and other parts of their body just to rid themselves of these lice. The ancient Egyptians were clean-shaven, and you get the feeling that maybe lice was one of the reasons. <laughs> lice will infest a person and cause itching and skin irritation, and they're a disgusting, dirty little critter that is easily transmitted. When Lori and I first started attending Modesto Calvary Chapel in California, they had an outbreak of head lice in their children's church. And Pastor Damien had to stand up before the church and announce, watch out for your children, we've had an outbreak of head lice. And I thought, man, I feel sorry for that man. <laughs> I've never had to make that kind of announcement, and I'm so glad. We desperately try to keep our children's church areas in a sanitary condition here. We cleanse, we sanitize the toys, we do all that we can to keep them germ-free, and it's a top priority of ours. Even if your child is sick, we encourage you to keep a sick, contagious child home and we want to see everybody attend church but if your child is sick it's okay you stay home and take care of them but these Egyptians they're very concerned about hygiene hygiene was high on the Egyptians list of a way to live and now they're suffering through plagues bloody water frogs now lice and all these plagues attack the foundation of their hygiene and their body cleanliness that they so prided themselves in. The Egyptians, you remember, they hated to be around people, around groups of people that did not bathe regularly. I'm not so fond of them myself, but anyway. 
People like shepherds or herdsmen were an abomination to the Egyptians. And these plagues are hitting at the very heart of their pride and cleanliness in the ancient world. When we as Americans travel to different parts of the world, one of the first warnings we receive is, don't drink the water there. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) Many third world nations, their water supply is not clean, nor is it healthy. And so we want to be careful what we drink. But I ask you, have you ever been on an extended hiking trip where you hike into the backcountry or something and the desire for a hot shower begins to overwhelm you after about the second day? We've been there, or some of us have been there. And just to bathe and get clean becomes a top priority. Now, I enjoy athletic team sports, and I considered myself, past tense, somewhat of an athlete. But there is one sport that I could never participate in, wrestling. The thought of grabbing, squeezing a sweaty, stinky opponent did not appeal to me. I can tell you outright, I had no desire to be a wrestler. So these plagues of Egypt, the bloody water, the frogs, and now lice, attack their very basic, prideful foundation of life. Their everyday lifestyle, their hygiene, and all the plagues are grievous to the people, and they take their complaint to Pharaoh. The magicians also go to Pharaoh concerning the lies, and they declare, these lies are of God because the magicians could not reproduce the lice, this little tiny insect. And when we read about these plagues, these filthy little plagues, it makes us appreciate living in a modern nation where the clean water supply is abundant. Control of insects is a top priority in our country and in our community. Have you ever been out on the roads after uh, they've sprayed for mosquitoes in the ditches and stuff? I appreciate that. (laughs) So we even try to take care of mosquitoes and things like that. But God is graphically showing Egypt all the basic things that they hold dear, basic hygiene, basic cleanliness, they are completely subject to him, the living God. And all their little false idols are of no value. And he's making this point very graphically. And when a people, when a nation refuses to see the goodness of God, refuses to acknowledge his protection, All God has to do is pull back his blessings, pull back his protective hand, and allow the plagues that will come upon a nation to simply manifest themselves. Now, 
There are many people in America who are beginning to believe God is judging America. And God is judging America to these, according to these people, through drought, through famine, through pestilence, wildfires. Right now in the West, my goodness, they're raging. And I hear politicians say things like, this disaster will not determine what kind of people we are. Oh, really? <laughs> now, I do not know if God is judging America and the rest of the world. But I do understand, I do realize we are living in troubling times. I believe as Christians, we should be very grateful for the protective hand of God that is upon us. When we get our bad weather reports, when we see that storms are going to be coming through our area, you know, first as severe thunderstorm warnings, then it's tornado uh, warnings, then it's tornado watch. And you go, oh, my. <laughs> the last series we had, they were going north. And, I, you know, I'm watching the radar on TV, and I go, oh, good. They're going to go just west of us. And he says, well, this storm seems to be turning and heading east now. uh-oh. <laughs> Coming right over us. <laughs> But when that happens, and we do get a lot of bad weather here, I begin to pray that God will protect us as his people. I pray for you, and I'm sure you pray for, uh, for the rest of the body here. And we are to pray because God controls those kind of things. And I believe God wants us to have a grateful heart for things like the nation we live in. I appreciate the fact that I can take a warm, hot shower in the morning with clean water. And that I don't have to have my water tested to go have a drink. And that uh, we don't have uh, a stench, a stink from rotting dead things around us. I appreciate a clean lifestyle. And that is a blessing of God. Just as the Egyptians. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we are grateful. Grateful that you watch over us and take care of us. Grateful that uh, we have clean sanitary conditions all around us, Lord. Grateful for our clean drinking water supply and bathing water. What a blessing just clean water is, Lord. And thank you that we don't have frogs crawling out of the ponds and inhabiting our land and that lice are not an epidemic in our area. We thank you for these things, Lord. Continue to bless us with good health and, and clean hygiene, Lord. These are blessings from you, and we want to be giving you thanks for them. We thank you for good medical care, Lord. You, you truly bless us and take care of us, and we simply want to say thank you. Continue your blessings upon us, Lord. We pray for those that are uh, in drought situations throughout our country. We pray you would uh, break the drought that is in Texas. Give them water, Lord. We pray for California and all the wildfires fires that are going on there. My goodness. 
such devastation, Lord. Be with those people and be with us, Lord. And give us grateful hearts for the small things in life that we so often take for granted. We thank and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.